Hillbilly Horror Stories presents Eerie Encounters. Okay, this is probably my most weird and strange experience dealing with the paranormal. Some background on this. The real name of the road is Bowden Road. It's located near Huntsville, Texas. It's a dirt road and partially tree-lined. Any houses on the street are about a half mile off the road. At one end of the road was once an abandoned, falling apart old house, and at the other end of this three to four mile road was a historic plantation style home. Right in the middle of the two is a cemetery called Martha's Chapel. This happened around 1996, and the experiences took place over the course of a year. It started one night at the beginning of spring. I was hanging out with my friend Tara and her boyfriend Brian at her house in Huntsville. We were playing cards and board games with some other friends. Somehow, we get into the conversation about haunted places in Texas. Well, the conversation continued for a couple of hours. And eventually, our other friends started to call it a night, leaving just Tara, Brian, and myself. I was not really ready to head back into Houston to my home, so we decided to go for a drive and see if there were any parties going on at any of the local spots. I let Tara drive since she knew the area way better than I did, plus I'd already had a couple of glasses of wine. So we drive around and eventually I noticed that Tara is driving away from town. I asked her where we were going and she responded with, It's a surprise. Now, admittedly, my first thought was, Great, she's driving us into trouble. I kept that to myself though. We eventually go down this dark paved road and she slows down to a crawl with the car. And I ask, What are you looking for? She tells me a broken house. Okay, now my interest has peaked. We are looking for a broken house. She drives about a mile further, and then I see what she's talking about. On the right-hand side of the road is a building that looks like it's caving in. The porch is literally about to fall off. She spots it also and says, see, a broken house. She turns right onto this dirt road. At this moment, my first thought is, hey, we're going to have a pasture party. But I quickly learned that we weren't here for a party. We start driving down this road, and I'm looking out the windows trying to figure out, one, where am I? And two, what the hell are we doing out here? All I see are trees and darkness out the side windows, and when I look out the front windows, all I see are headlights and literally pure blackness beyond that. Then she turned the headlights off. For a full three minutes, I am panicking and telling her that if she wrecks my car, that I'm going to wreck her. She finally raised her voice over mine and said, Look out the window. I did. The road was glowing. Not glow stick glowing, but a soft glow to it. I roll down my window, stick my head out, and I look up. And behind me, I'm looking for the moon because the moon would cause the road to glow. There was no moon. I pull my head in. I roll up the window. Now I start making mental notes. Normal spring night noises? Check. I'm awake? Check. I'm not drunk? Check. The whole time I'm looking at this glowing road. Brian tells me that this is normal and if I chill out, nothing bad will happen. In my mind, I'm currently starring in my own horror movie and I'm wondering if my friend's boyfriend is a weird cult leader or a killer. I grow very quiet because my mind is now writing a super scary story that I'm starring in. 
Except in my mind, her boyfriend was the villain. I would turn out to be very wrong in that thought, though. We continue down this road for about 10 minutes. The road forks. You can go straight or you can go left. We turn left. I look up and I notice a street sign. In bright white letters against the green background, it says, Martha's Chapel. Tara turns the headlights back on and after a few minutes, a chain link fence with a gate comes into view of the headlights. She pulls right up to the gate and stops the car and turns it off. Her and her boyfriend get out of the car. They walk up to the gate and open it. My eyes had just adjusted to the darkness, and as they open the gate, I realize that we are in front of a cemetery. Instantly, my thought was, they could have just told me that we were going to a cemetery, and I would have been cool with that. I get out of the car, into the balmy spring night. I'm hearing all the bugs of Texas that go along with spring nights as I walk up to the gates. Tara walks into the cemetery, and Brian makes a motion for me to go behind her, so I do. I then hear the sound of Brian shutting and locking the gate. The first thing that I notice is this place is really old. All of the outlines of the headstones are all uniquely shaped. I then see a small bench. I walk up to it and pull up my lighter, dragging it across the bench to make sure it's not a headstone or part of a grave. Fortunately, it was not. It seemed more of that it was there to overlook the cemetery. I sit down. Tara walks up and leans against a tree and she says, I love this place. It's so peaceful. I can see Brian off in the distance flicking his lighter occasionally to read headstones. I asked Tara what the story was with this place and she tells me that not much is known about it but she found it one day and comes out here to make sure the headstones can still be seen on occasion. I continue to take in the surrounding and realize that there are no sounds. No crickets, no bugs biting me. And I look up and I can see the outlines of the trees. They're not moving at all. I then lower my head and I look right at the trees outside of the gate and I see they are softly moving, yet I feel no wind. In my mind, this was weird. Tara has now moved to the back of the cemetery and I get up and go toward her. She's standing in front of a headstone and Brian is cleaning weeds from it. I asked her what the deal was with the road glowing, and she tells me that the road has a story, but it's not good. I told her that I wanted to know the story, but after we leave, not now. We wandered around the cemetery for about another hour. When we go to leave, Brian again opens the gate, and as I step across the gate opening, I feel the wind again. I note, weird, in my mind, once again, but I don't say anything. We get back in the car and start to drive back. Once we get to our house, I ask again, what's the story with that road? Well, she tells me that supposedly there was an Indian burial ground around there, that the road has an old abandoned barn at the other end that was used for cult activity, and that there's an old plantation around here that hung slaves during the Civil War. And if they don't like you, they will let you know. I then ask, how the spirits let you know if they don't like you. And she says that the spirits get more and more aggressive each time, but also that it's all rumors and legends. I tell her that I'm glad that you didn't tell me this while we were there, and I leave to go home. The next morning, I take my daughter to the local library. Since I was at the library anyway, I tried to look up some information on the road and the cemetery, 
but had no luck whatsoever. Fast forward about three months. I'm again at Terrace. This time, my other friend was with me, and it's daylight, so we go down to the cemetery to clear some more headstones. We stay till after dark, and as we head home, my friend asks why the kids were laying in the field after dark. I look at the direction she's looking at, and there's nothing but pasture. No kids whatsoever. Just fresh-cut pasture. I tell her maybe because it's cooler at night. Then she nonchalantly says, Well, the figure watching him must be hot because he's all in black robes, as if this was no big deal. I look at Tara with a side eye and punch the gas a little harder at this moment. Honestly, I was a little scared. I feel the car jerk a little as I did this, almost like I could not get a constant traction, and this continued till we made it back onto the main road. I dropped Tara off and I head back home. I decided to have my car checked out because of what it did do the night before, and while at the shop, the mechanic asked me if someone had been underneath my car recently. I said, no, why? He replied with, well, it looks like someone's been messing with your axles. I said, there's no possible way. He says, come look and I'll show you. We walk out to my car that's up, up in the air on the lift. I look up and all along the axles, it looks like little handprints wrapped around it. Internally, I'm freaking out. And I was really wishing that I had an explanation for this, but I did not. He tells me that the car is fine other than the alignment. I had just had an alignment done the week before, and now it's suddenly off. He fixed that, and I put this in back of my mind. A couple of more months go by, and off and on I've tried finding any validity to the stories about the road in the cemetery. Still nothing. I decided to just leave it alone and not worry about it. One of my friends and her two kids and my kid all decide to take a trip, and we're driving back late at night. Kids are passed out in the back, and as we get into Huntsville, we run into a huge traffic jam. It was literally at a standstill. I turn on the radio to AM so I can find out what the issue was, and sure enough, there had been a wreck. So, as we were inching along, I realized that the other end of Bowden Road is before the wreck, and the end I had used was after the wreck. So I take the next exit, and I drive down to Bowden Road. My friend asks where we're going, and I told her, around traffic. As we start driving down the road, we get past the cemetery. We turn, and I start hearing my friend's young daughter coughing. My friend asks, you know, hey, what's wrong? She replies in a very raspy voice, the man is choking me. So my friend's son is now awake, and so is my daughter. My friend's son says, um, mom, there's something on the trunk. I look in my rearview mirror, and internally I say, holy crap, he's right. There was this black outline of a person on my trunk, and it looked like he was reaching in the car. I press the gas. As I'm driving faster, my daughter says, Mom, why is there a torch in the field? I look left, and there are torches in the field, and as I'm looking through the rows as we go by, I notice that there is no one holding those torches. I again press the gas to make the car go faster. We get to the end of the road and my friend's daughter stops coughing as soon as we turn onto the paved road and head back to the freeway. When we get to the freeway, I turn off to the feeder road 
and I pull into a gas station so my friend could check on her daughter and we could get the kids some drinks. My friend and I walked to the back of the car to get things out of the trunk and we both suddenly froze. Up by the back window, in the dust and the grime of traveling, were two perfect handprints. Perfectly centered behind where my friend's daughter was sitting. As we were standing there in shock, a man walks up behind us and says, Who's been climbing on your car? We both said no one. I stutter out that we took Bowden Road as a shortcut to get around the traffic. He simply replied, I don't think Demon's Road wants you down it. I would steer clear of it from now on. I said, Demon's Road, really? As I turned around to look at this guy. But no one was there. No other cars or trucks. We never heard any engine start, and we never heard him walk away. My friend and I quickly opened the trunk, got what we needed, and we got home as quick as possible. I've never been back since. My friend and I have never spoke of what happened, and this is only the third time that I've ever spoken of Demon's Road. I never plan on taking a chance on what Demon's Road could have in store for me next. From an early age, I've always been different when it comes to death. My grandma used to say that I must have been touched by an angel at birth because she said, from a little child, I talked to the dead. She used to say that she would catch me talking to the air in the house or at certain homes, that she would ask me who I was talking to. I would always give her a specific name, mostly family members. Family members that I had never met or even seen, but I could describe them in detail even what they smelled like. Around the time I was eight, something changed of how I saw things, and it happened after a night where I freaked out my mother's entire family. My great-grandfather had been sick with walking pneumonia and been taken to the hospital, and he was not doing great. We lived in another town away from my grandparents, and when a relative was in a medical situation, everyone gathered at my grandparents' house. So my mom's sisters and brothers along with us went to my grandparents'. We were staying the weekend, which meant all the grandkids played while the adults worried and talked. Two days went by, and we had updates that he was stable, but there were still some concerns. On Sunday night, I went to bed. The room had a wooden daybed in it and a pop-up trindle that, when pushed together, made a huge bed. I went to lay down, and four of my younger cousins decided immediately that they could not sleep without sharing the room with me. I get all four of them calm and sleeping, so I finally close my eyes to go to sleep, and as soon as my eyes are shut, it felt like someone was playing with my toes. I thought it may be my cousins, but I hadn't felt them move. I open my eyes, and my great-grandpa is at the foot of the daybed, leaning on the rail, tugging my toes. I start to say something, and he puts his finger up to his mouth to shush me. He says the following, my little jitterbug, I knew you would be able to hear me. Listen closely, I'm no longer here. Do you understand? I shake my head yes. I need to tell everyone because your great-grandma can't right now because she's very sad. Will you do that for me? I shake my head yes. 
When things calm down, please tell your great-grandma it was not her fault. I knew I was sick, but I did not tell her. Please tell her that I knew when she made me the lemon hot tea and I started coughing. She will understand then. Will you do that for me, Jitterbug? I shook my head yes. I must go now. I love you, and I'm always proud of you. I gave him our hand signal for I love you, and he vanished. I quietly untangled myself from my cousins and the covers. I walked out the door of the bedroom, turned right and down the hall towards the living room where the adults were. I'm standing there, and they all look at me, and I say in the calmest voice, Great-grandpa said he had to go, and I was supposed to tell you all. With the announcement, I turned and I walked back to the bedroom and go to bed. It was 12.36 a.m. What happened after I went to bed, I was not told until I was much older. I was eventually told that after I walked out of the room that they sat there dumbfounded for a few minutes. My grandfather asked why I would have came in there and said that. My parents felt like they knew the answer, but they should call the hospital to make sure. They finally reached a human being on the other end after about 30 minutes. They ask about my great-grandfather, and the nurse starts apologizing and lets them know that he had passed. My mother asks when the doctor is called the time of death. The nurse said, 12.36 a.m. My family never really spoke about what happened, but they also never again questioned if I said something had happened to someone either. Some friends of mine owned a beach house in Galveston, Texas, so when they offered me a chance to go down and hang out for the weekend, I jumped at the opportunity to get into the coastal breeze to deal with the overly hot summer weather. My friend's beach house was out on the west end, just past where the seawall ends on the island. We had had a wonderful day doing tropical island touristy stuff. Horseback riding on the beach, taking the trolley to all the shops, and ended our day with a fire on the edge of the beach. As we sat and talked, I kept looking out into the darkness. I could hear the waves crashing, but I kept hearing something mixed in with it. At times, it would sound like screams, and at other times, it sounded like a horde of animals running at or near us. Eventually, I spoke up and asked, Do y'all hear that? All of my friends reassured me that it was nothing but just the water and the wind playing tricks on my ears. And eventually, I just wrote it off as exactly that. Right around midnight, I decided that it was time for a hot shower and to get all the beach and ocean spray off of me, so I went in and turned on the water. I turned the hot water on and did my normal routine of brush my hair. It was down to my waist at that point. I brushed my teeth as I watched the mirror fog up, and I knew it was going to be a relaxing hot shower. So I jump in. I'm under the water. About 15 minutes later, I decide to get out, dry off, and get dressed. At this point, I'm still towel-drying my hair enough to braid it, so I open up the little bathroom window to let some of the steam out. As I opened the window, I heard a female scream. I immediately turn around to open the door and see right before my eyes the letters appear as if someone is drawing them in the mirror. H-E-L-P. I swallowed hard, caught between fascination and utter fear. Below it, 
other letters start to appear. M. E. At that moment, fear won, and I found my voice as I bolted out the door and into the hallway, shouting, Nope, no way, not cool, in between obscenities. My friends crowd down the hallway, all five of them, trying to make sure that I'm okay. I tell them what happened, I showed them the letters, and that's when they decided to let me in on something that they already knew. David, my friend who owned the beach house, said, You do know this is normal out here this time of year. I said, no, why? And you need to start explaining before I get in my car and break speed records to get home. He said, well, it's September 8th. That's the anniversary of the great storm. Half the island was wiped out. They buried the dead at sea, but they all washed back up. I'm not really sure if anybody lived out here, but if they did, it would have been farms. But every year at this time, something happens, like these phantom sounds and screams. The waves sound louder but by morning, it's very quiet. I drove home that night 80 miles to my house. I never returned to that beach house, not because of fear, but because the next year on September 7th, the day before the anniversary of the great storm and the day before anyone would have shown up, the house burnt completely to the ground, and they never figured out the cause. You have been listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories Presents Eerie Encounters. If you have an eerie encounter that you would like read on the show, please send it to hillbillyhorrorstories at gmail.com.